On July 20th, 1969, two Americans walked on the moon. The U.S. became the first and then the last to achieve such a feat. America proved it could be done. Then why haven't we been back in nearly 50 years? I can't help thinking about what could have been if we continued a sustainable presence there. Would in-space fueling already be a success? Would humans on Mars be within reach? But cuts to NASA's funding, politics, ever-changing interests, and varying leadership led us away from the moon. Now, we're going back. And according to NASA, it will be different this time, because we're going to stay. I'm Emily Speck, and today on Space Curious, we're headed back to the moon. Well, almost. The commercial space market has completely changed the game for how NASA is planning to send astronauts back to the moon. It won't even be a NASA-owned lander that puts boots on the moon when that does happen. And the robotic missions ahead of humans are also commercial. NASA is just going along for the ride. Two private American companies working in collaboration with NASA are launching moon landers later this year from Florida kicking off a grand campaign to understand our nearest neighbor. This week, we'll meet the first of two robots laying the groundwork for astronauts to return to the moon. Two years ago, NASA selected several companies to send moon landers to the lunar surface carrying NASA experiments. Two companies, Astrobotic and Intuitive Machine, are just months away from launching the first American missions to the moon since 1972. Pittsburgh can barely believe that there's a moon company <laughs> in town here. Really? Um, but yeah, it, it be, because space to, it, we're not a normal space city or, or space town, so it's very unusual. That's John Thornton, the CEO of Astrobotic. We are building a lunar delivery service. So we take payloads, our customers from all over the world, we bolt them up on our lander, and we fly them to the surface of the moon. Astrobotic is still a new company, founded in 2007 in an effort to win the Google Lunar X Prize. The first company to land on the moon by a given deadline could have won $20 million. No competitors actually won that grand prize, but some of them are still going to this day, including Astrobotic. So we're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We're in the north side. Um, So we're actually just a couple blocks from Heinz Field where the Steelers play and a couple blocks from our science center. The Pittsburgh-based team quickly realized their mission was more than going after the prize winnings. Uh, And over time, we settled on the lunar delivery model. Uh, We actually made the the world's first lunar payload sale uh, to a company in Japan, and then that led to another one and another one and another one. Um, And then just last year, NASA came in with a big $80 million uh, contract to take their payloads to the surface of the moon. And they came in again this year with a $200 million uh, a contract to take additional payloads to the surface of the moon on a second subsequent mission. Um, so ball is rolling. All right, let's talk about this lander. Tell me about Peregrine. What does it look like? What can it do? Yeah, Peregrine is our delivery vehicle. So that is the thing that takes our customers up to the surface of the moon. 
Essentially, anyone or company can buy space on Peregrine to conduct research on the moon. It's about a about an eight-foot diameter vehicle, about six feet tall. It's got four main fuel tanks that provide the fuel to get out to the moon, to slow down in a lunar orbit, and descend down to the surface. Um, and then we've got uh, four payload decks where our payloads attach and the customers can, can, uh, can be attached. And then once we land on the surface, then we become the local utility. We provide power and communications for, for our customers so that they can operate their, uh, their payloads on the surface. For the first round of payloads, Peregrine, which is named after the Peregrine Falcon, by the way, will have a lot riding on it, literally. So we've got about a dozen NASA instruments and, and uh, about half a dozen or so non-NASA instruments that are flying on the first one. Um, so some examples of NASA instruments, they, they have a, a radiation sensor. Um, they've got cameras that are looking at uh, the regolith as, as we're landing. They've got uh, sensors that are looking at the soil uh, as we land. So what is the composition? Is there water in it? Are there, what, what materials are made up uh, of the soil in the, in the, uh, at, at the moon? And that's just NASA stuff. Astrobotics Lander is also carrying a payload for the Mexican Space Agency. They could be the fourth nation after China to operate on the surface of the moon. So it's pretty, pretty cool to be a part of their great, great story here. Um, and they're building and sending small micro uh, uh, vehicles up to the surface of the moon for coordination uh, that technology demonstrations. Also, Peregrine will deliver a tiny rover from the UK with plans to walk across the moon. Two payloads from Japan, including a time capsule from a soft drink company with messages from children around the world. And then a whole host of other smaller items are going up via DHL. Yes, like the International Shipping Company. We have a, a program called DHL Moonbox, which allows for smaller payloads to be sent up um, and in partnership with uh, some local schools and, and um, the government there. Um, they're actually sending a piece of Everest up to the surface of the moon, um, which is going full circle because there was an astronaut that brought a moon rock to the, to the peak of Everest. So it's, it's really, uh, you know, launching from the U.S., but it's, it's a big international effort to get all of these payloads and all of these systems together down to the launch at the Cape uh, and ultimately put on a rocket to, to go to the moon. So someone could essentially purchase a little bit of space on one of these missions and, and send something to the moon, right? That's right. So the whole idea is for, for everyone to be able to look up in the night sky and to say, you know, there, there's a part of my story or my family's story on the surface of the moon, and it will be there for all time, and you'll see it in the night sky every night. John told me some families will be sending photographs, inscriptions, and some pet hair from a family pet that died. It would be about $460 to send Fifi or Fido's hair to the lunar surface. The cost of sending a personal item to the moon depends on the size of the box it goes up in. The Astrobotic website lists the cost of three moon boxes starting with a half-inch wide box at about 0.125 inches high. The largest item at two inches high and one inch wide costs just under $26,000. That's according to the website all to be stored in a moon time capsule for all of time. So oh, we're, we're all about making the moon accessible to the world, and that, that's just one way to do that. After the break, Astrobotic has spent 14 years and millions of dollars getting ready for their moonshot. So how are they going to ensure it will be a success?
Florida is known for more than its rocket launches. Did you know we also have a diverse and growing culinary scene that offers something for everyone? Or if you're a competitive eater, you just eat everything. On a recent episode of WKMG's Florida Foodie Podcast, hosts Lisa Bell and Candace Campos learned that the hard way. Is there any type of food you don't like? I mean, I've seen the pizzas. What if someone puts a bunch of anchovies on there or something like that? I actually just did a challenge here in Miami at a place called Taquera Viva Mexico, where I ate uh, pig ears, uh, stomach, intestines, and tongue. So that was all pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that's the same reaction my mom had. Every other week, Florida Foodie gives you some food for thought taking a closer look at how what we eat and how we eat it impacts us here in Florida and what it means for everyone, everywhere. Find WKMG's Florida Foodie Podcast wherever you download your favorite podcasts. In the fourth quarter of 2021, Astrobotics Peregrine Moon Lander will hitch a ride on a United Launch Alliance Vulcan rocket, and if all goes well, touch down on the nearest side of the moon. So our spacecraft will be let go and it will be flying out towards the moon. And our job from there is to slow down when we get close to, to drop into lunar orbit and then make sure we're lined up over our site and we lower the orbit, lower the orbit down to a circular orbit. After watching their spacecraft launch in Florida, John said the team will then head back to Mission Control in Pittsburgh to prepare for the landing. Uh, we'll have our engineers on station um, in Mission Control watching all the parameters of the spacecraft come in as they come in flying it out towards the moon, making sure the trajectory is lined up, the thermal characteristics are right, the power is right um, as we're coming in. Uh, and then we're going to be dropping into lunar orbits. And that, that presents whole new challenges because every time you orbit, you're going to drop out of communication with Earth for some amount of time. What's that timeline like from that wider ellip- elliptical orbit down to that, those last seconds before the, before the touchdown? It can range from a few days to, to potentially hours um, in, from going the, to the, from the highest orbit down to the lowest orbit. But, but certainly from the time we launch to landing, um, it's going to be about 30 days or less. And we'll know the moment we launch exactly when we have to land. So we'll, we'll be able to count, count down the whole way. Then, when it's time to slow down for touchdown... So for a while, we're just coasting. Uh, in in that, uh, that that elliptic moment, and if we didn't do anything else, we we, we would hit the moon. Um, but right at the the last few uh, tens of kilometers, there we're we're turning things over, we're watching the altitude, um, and then in the last kilometers, we're firing our engines full out to s- slow down, take out all the extra velocity, um, and turn this nice orbit arc into a more vertical uh, descent down to the surface. So we have to be be lined up just right and uh, right over our landing site, and that's because that circular orbit is not very stable. So um, that's, that's the last moment, the last chance. Um, and then from there, it's a fully autonomous descent down to the surface. And, uh, and from there, we're just hoping we've done all of the work correctly over the, the years and years and years of development that have gone into it. This part of the landing then goes fully automated as Peregrine looks for a safe spot to land. So our cameras are, are firing real time, looking at the terrain, um, using the imagery that it sees, matching it up with onboard maps. And you, that's, our, that's our map finder, our GPS on the moon, if you will. And that's uh, telling the spacecraft where to land. And then our, our spacecraft is firing engines, slowing down, taking as much energy out as it can, firing small correction maneuvers along the way to make sure the spacecraft is oriented just right so it can land perfectly. 
A similar terrain navigation system was recently used by NASA to land the Perseverance rover on Mars, and it was a smashing success. Peregrine will have used most of its fuel by this point, meaning no do-overs. When we land, the fuel tanks are pretty much empty. They're very close to empty. So it's, uh, we only have one shot to, to get it right. If it goes as planned, Peregrine will touch down on Lacus Mortis on the side of the moon facing Earth. That translates to Lake of Death, by the way. Uh, and from there, we're just hoping we've done all of the work correctly over the, the years and years and years of development that have gone into it. Um, that's going to be the nail-biter moment. Many space agencies have attempted moon landings and failed on their first try. NASA had a long list of failures before success. The moon is still really, really hard. China recently landed a robotic mission on the moon and successfully returned the first moon samples to Earth since the Apollo mission. China's Chang'e 5 probe was launched in late November, the first attempt to retrieve lunar samples since a Russian mission four decades ago. In 2019, a private Israeli company's lander crashed into the moon, which would have been the first commercial landing. We unfortunately have not managed to land successfully. We are the seventh country to orbit the moon and the fourth to reach the moon's surface. Now, Astrobotic is set up to claim that first. What do you think those final moments before landing and then at landing are going to be like? Do you think your team is just going to be... Uh, so excited or really nervous? <laughs> uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a flood of emotion <laughs> at that moment. It'll be excitement and nervousness, and um, I I don't I don't know I I, I might uh, I might black out a little bit there <laughs> on the way down. It's it's there's just been so much so many years that that have gone into it. And it's not about just going to the moon to go. There are many unanswered questions about our only moon and how it can be utilized for deep space exploration. Um, and it's going to potentially lead to the first uses of materials on the moon for future uses. So can we turn water at the poles of the moon, for example, and make rocket fuel? That would be a massive step forward for us as, as a species to be able to use off-world material for our own purposes um, instead of relying on all of those resources coming from Earth. Is there one particular question that you're hoping to get answered? Maybe oh, there's a lot. There's a lot. But I, I am super excited about the, the water fuel in particular, because if we can harness the power of that water fuel at the poles of the moon and turn the moon into a refueling station where we have fuel on orbit, then then the solar system is all accessible all of a sudden. You, you fly to the moon, you refuel, you can go to Mars, you can go to these other deeper destinations with full fuel tanks. Next time on Space Curious, we'll meet another soon-to-be robotic moon resident. Intuitive Machines' Nova Sea Lander is also launching late this year from Florida. At the risk of sounding, sounding unsophisticated, imagining a large hot water heater. And that, that's kind of what it looks like. It's, it's tall and cylindrical. It has six legs that come out to uh, stabilize when we, when we touch the ground. And the whole thing is about 13, 14 feet tall. Thanks for listening to Space Curious, the podcast designed for everyone from the space curious to the space fanatics. I've posted photos and more information about Astrobotic and Peregrine on our new website, spacecurious.show. This season, we're looking to share more untold stories of spaceflight and science. If you've got a question or a story idea, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at emspec or submit a question on the homepage at spacecurious.show. This episode was produced and edited by Zach Rosen and myself. 
Thank you to Astrobotic CEO John Thornton for joining us on this episode. Until next time, stay curious. Thank you.